Welcome to High Techies Podcast. I'm your host, Pramod Takal. I'm having a horse throat today. Uh, perhaps it's a result of over-screaming on a match between Chelsea and Leeds United. But it's a special episode and I thought I had to speak to you guys. It's a special episode because High Techies has reached an important milestone of 50th episode. On this occasion, I want to thank all the listeners and all the guests who came to my podcast and were a part of this podcast. Without you, it wouldn't be successful. I had a privilege to talk to a lot of interesting guests who were quite open and vocal about issues such as diversity, gender equality, women in tech, and the challenges around it, as well as what it means to be really transparent within the organization, what it means to really run an organization during these challenging times. In this episode of High Tech is Podcast, I'm talking to Christy Shaman. Christy is a serial entrepreneur and a expert in marketing and identifying new customer trends and building companies around it. She co-founded and built an influencer marketing platform, Wefluencer, all the way back in 2014 when influencer were only just developing as a viable marketing channel based in Amsterdam Christy founded Referral Factory in 2020 with a mission to empower any company of any size to build and run powerful referral programs without any technical know-how a steadfast champion of equality more than 50% of referral factory staff are women and pay scales are the same for every employee regardless of gender christy welcome so i mean i guess if you if you look back at my my journey um there's a there's a common trait that runs um through it and and that's been a 10 year journey and i didn't call myself an entrepreneur when i get when i got started uh now i do but I I guess back then I just was um you know I saw a problem and I set out to solve it and 10 years ago that problem was as simple as there was a better way for brands to spend their digital budget um and I started a really simple business which was just you know helping companies buy Facebook ads and helping companies buy YouTube ads and you know 10 years ago it wasn't so easy to do as it is now um and that for me essentially evolved into this path of you know 10 years I guess in the advertising ne- uh vertical and on onto my fourth company now um and all of them essentially have been really just solving a problem in a way that I you know I saw a gap in the market that I thought brands could get better value by spending their money in a different way and if I was able to show them that um I would be able to deliver that value so you know as I said the the first business was a really simple media buying company and um, we really just bought facebook and youtube ads back when brands didn't know how to do it themselves uh the second company was an influencer marketing platform which really just again was a a way for brands to connect with popular youtubers podcasters instagrammers um and promote their their products or their message uh, through those influencers um i then yeah i i exited that company almost 4 years ago Mm-hmm. um the third one was a a way for brands to uh, use their data better um to make better data driven decisions in in the advertising space mm-hmm. uh, that that uh, that journey or uh, that venture get, um gave me a lot of lessons in terms of failure that was the one <laughs> that didn't work so well 
So we can talk a bit about that because it's probably where I learned most of my lessons. Yeah. Um, and then it led us on to the fourth venture, which is Referral Factory. Um, and essentially, again, that's just um, really, yeah, over the last three years, I've been uh, working with multiple brands from a sort of consulting point of view, helping them find the best, most sustainable way to drive growth. Um, and the common factor I found amongst all those customers was, you know, building A, referral programs and, you know, B, using your own customers as a marketing channel. Um, and that led me to this fourth venture, which is, uh, yeah, helping company, you know, it's a software product that helps companies build their own referral, uh, build their own referral programs. But essentially, if you kind of look at the trend through all of those, it was, you know, my personality and by nature, I'm a very curious person. I've always been addicted to the internet in probably an unhealthy way. Um, you know, I was absolutely loved and adored by my mother when I was growing up, probably far too much that I have way too much confidence <laughs> that I think all my ideas are great and are going to work and change the world. Um, and yeah, they all totally stem from the same places. I just saw a different way uh, for brands to spend their money online, that they could get, you know, better value, uh, find uh, better customers, make more money. Um, and yeah, and I set out to make that easy and affordable for them to do. So even though I've had different ventures along the way, they've all really been actually stemmed in the same principle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and you meant uh, earlier you mentioned about the failures, right? I'm I'm quite curious about failures because that's that's where everything uh, starts as a learning, right? So because yeah. if you if you just win 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 and then you don't know the feeling of losing, right? So that's <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh... <laughs> Tell me about you have it. To lose, you have to lose real money, really, to learn a lesson. That's what I've always said How much money have you lost? You know, yes. you only learn when you lose a lot of money. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, listen, I've had multiple subsets of failures um, in between my whole journey. And in every single business, there were individual failures within that or products we launched that didn't work. Um, and I've always really tried to be like, like, like super self-reflective on that. And I, I think my personality and my nature has always rather been, well, look at the ways that you could have done something differently rather than look at the ways that aren't your fault because you don't learn a lesson if you worry about the ways that aren't your fault. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, like my view on how great companies are built is really just that it's a cycle of, you know, doing something, learning, improving and doing something again, which means you have to really pay a lot of attention to, you probably have to pay more attention to where things go wrong than when things go right because those lessons become invaluable as you move forward. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just in terms of the lessons, like, yeah, lots of individual lessons, but probably like, yeah, having a whole business, um, you know, having built a whole product and have, having, um, it was called Aerial Scoop. And it, yeah, as I said, it was a simple product where companies could connect all of their different advertising channels and it would take all their data, it would analyze it and it would tell them um, what they could do to optimize. Um, mm -hmm. and, and really like a, a simple lesson for me was, uh, in, in that venture was actually just like, I didn't have enough cash. Um, you know, I, I didn't model it, uh, properly going forward. Um, and I started out building a product that was in an industry I had not worked in before, which was the data silo. Like I'd always been in marketing, but I hadn't really built a product in data and, and, and analytics. And I hugely underestimated the costs um, and the time frame for you to actually get that right and build a world-class product. Um, and yeah, and I guess for me, I, I didn't really, I, I almost don't look at those things as failures because like if I almost look at the business I have now, 
well, we have a great model and we now, you know, we had the right cash flow model and we are profitable after a short period of time. And everything we've done in this business, also largely the team that we had running in this business now is the team that I had in the previous business and we just pivoted to this one. Um, you know, I wouldn't be, we wouldn't be successful now if we hadn't have had that. And, the, you know, and I think that's because we were, you know, we were hyper honest about the mistakes that we made. We were hyper honest about where we had blind spots. Um, you know, we, we, we really looked at all the reasons we failed and not all the reasons the market made us fail. Um, and I think the minute you can actually just get comfortable with the fact that mistakes are a great thing, um, they give you these amazing lessons that you carry absolutely for the rest of your life. Um, I try and talk about it a lot. Like, you know, it's quite weird. You know, I'll talk about it at the dinner table. Oh, I, you know, I built this product and it didn't work and it failed and I lost this much money. And like, I talk about it very openly. And a lot of people are almost kind of like, well, why do you talk about that? It's a bit like you should have shame about that. And I feel like, my gosh, I would never have learned those lessons if I didn't do yeah. that. So it was like the best thing. I almost talk about that more than I talk about the exit in my previous business because like I learned more from that and I carried more lessons from, from that failure forward than anything else I've ever done. Um, it was also the first time I'd set up a company in Europe before and I totally underestimated that. You know, I just moved from South Africa where it's a different playing field, different costs, you know, there's different cost centers, you know, everything to a degree is um, everything to a degree is different. And I had, I think I came in with a lot of naivety about um, <laughs> things would just be the same, you know, running a business in Amsterdam and, and it wasn't really, I all of a sudden had to do all my accounts in Dutch and oh my, yeah, it was really difficult. Um, but yeah, I really do think like a big lesson for me there was just like having my, um, yeah, being more organized and planning longer term ahead. So um, I think as entrepreneurs, we tend to think of all the things that we can do well and we tend to think, okay, well, we have this product and then this will work, um, and then we'll scale up our ad spend, and we'll just get more customers. You know, and we don't factor in simple things like, well, when you scale up your ad spend, actually your cost per acquisition goes up. So you don't get the same amount of customers for the same amount of money. Your customers actually become more expensive. Um, and, and, and this was a simple lesson I learned, you know, in the previous business. And that's great, because now I've modeled that into our planning for the business I'm in now, and now we don't have that problem, and now we're not running into cash flow issues. Mm -hmm. um, I do think as well, like the other thing when it comes to like failure is, is really just, um, yeah, I think just getting comfortable talking about it. I think more people should talk about it. I think we glorify lots of startups on the front page of TechCrunch and amazing and they've raised these capitals. And I, and I actually think a lot of the lessons are more so in the companies that have um, done things wrong, made huge mistakes. Um, because really like every business that you look at had a series of mistakes before that, before they got to being successful. You know, and often we just talk about the good things and the positive things, and that leads audiences to believe that the journey is straight up. But the journey is never straight up. The journey yeah. is, you know, straight up for a period. And then yeah. even, you know, I even know now when you're on the kind of, you know, on the journey and you're going up and you're like, wow, I've got money in the bank and things are working. I'm just constantly like, well, you know, we're going to have a dip here. What is it going to be? <laughs> like, you know that there is something you haven't predicted that is coming yeah. your way. And your job, to be honest, as an entrepreneur is becoming really good at navigating those things and becoming really good at solving those problems you didn't predict. If, if you're good at that, you'll be a great entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's very, very difficult to predict, by the way, you know, so yeah. <laughs> good luck with that. Best, but yeah, we can't. <laughs>
And uh, yeah, the, the failures are indeed our, our, our learnings, right? So you mentioned about the cash flow, that, that being one of them. The, and, and the other one is maybe you're not familiar with the territory that you are into. That's, that's another yeah. one, right? So, yeah. so these are lessons. These are valuable lessons. And, and, and I, I, I commend you for really talking about it, right? So now what you're doing is, is, is something very interesting, right? So, so you are now working in the referral factory. Um, and, 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 and what you said before is like all of this, are, you know, uh, ideas are basically coming from your past, right? So all the ideas that you gathered are coming from the past. So, so what did you want to achieve within Referral Factory? Like, you know, from original idea to now, what, what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, and I guess that stems from, you know, kind of the past and even the yeah. lessons, which was, you know, I've got, you know, over 10 years experience in the advertising field, helping companies or brands spend money in the most efficient way to drive growth. So, you know, the one startup I tried to do in the data space didn't work. <laughs> Come back to advertising. You know, I learned. I, I learned my lessons. I'm good. But, and, but you, you know, still use it. data, right? You still use data. We, yeah, we absolutely use a lot of data in our yeah. own. Uh, like, I think probably, you know, we, we have our own admin panels and I'm addicted to our mix panel. You know, we use mix panel, which is a great product as well. And um, But, yeah, I think in terms of what we're trying to do, like, it's really and I can explain in a nutshell, it's really simple. We all know companies like PayPal. We all know companies like Airbnb. We, you know, we look at these startups which have gone from zero to hero overnight, which hasn't been overnight and has actually been 10 years and tons of failures on the way. <laughs> but um, a lot of the ways these new innovative unicorn type companies are growing in the tech space, to be honest, is, is they have re versions of referral programs. So, you know, on Uber, you can give your friend five euros uh, to ride and then you get five euros in return you know dropbox had that famous referral program where if you wanted more space in your dropbox folder you had to invite a friend um gmail to a degree had um also had a referral program in the early days yes. if we look at clubhouse now let's look at clubhouse which is really the most spoken about social app at the moment and and i think everybody's watching it to see what happens next i mean they really have one acquisition channel and that's referral marketing. Like they are asking their users to invite their friends. And for me, what I just saw in that was, okay, there's these very, very innovative tech-based companies who use this channel to drive growth. Mm -hmm. Why is every business in the world not using the same channel? Um, and the problem we found in that was really actually just because it's a bit technical and it's a bit complicated to set up. So in order to build a referral program, you need to know what you will give your customers as a reward and you, you might need to have an incentive for the people being invited, but you need to issue referral links to users. You then need to track who refers who. You need to build a place where users can check their referrals. And if you don't have access to a developer or a large dev team, you know, or, or maybe your developer, your dev team is busy, or you are maybe a marketing team and you don't have budget to build your own whole referral program, um, then essentially the, the, this, the platform we've built allows you to do that. It's like a no-code solution. The starter price is 75 euro a month for the most basic plans, so it's really affordable. You can completely brand and customize your referral program to look like your own. But really our market and, and the problem we're trying to solve is referrals are a great way to drive quality growth. Like it brings you customers that spend, it brings you the best quality customers like that we have learned and there's lots of data to back that up but we just wanted to make it really easy 
um, for every company to have a referral program without having to go through, you know, without having to hire a dev team and then get designs done and how do we track it? And so that's essentially the problem that we're trying to solve. Um, you know, I, to be honest, I think we're only personally 20 or 30% into our journey. I think there's a lot further that we have to go. Um, and I think the future of this largely is, is brands or, or companies essentially using their own customers as a marketing channel. So the same way that we use Facebook as a marketing channel, we serve ads on Facebook, where we use Google as a marketing channel. You know, you have a subset of customers or fans that all know your brand, um, love your brand, and often actually were, are very happy to tell their friends about it. They just need to be prompted to do that, and they need the infrastructure to be able to tell their friends about it and get a reward. And we think that there's lots of ways that brands can use their customers as marketing channel, you know, as their customers as a marketing channel. So, they, you know, they can they have a new product or promotion coming out. They should be sharing that with their customers and rewarding them for, you know, um, passing that message on to their friends. Um, and and I think our journey and our roadmap is, you know, we, we, we still have a far way to go. Um, but essentially, the principle is like, you know, our first version of a product was you can build it, you, you know, you can build a own, your own fully branded referral program without the need of a developer, without having to install any scripts and without having to write any code. Um, so essentially, small businesses, medium businesses, marketers are probably more of our customers. Um, and we want to make it possible that they can do the same things that Airbnb, uh, Dropbox, you know, Tesla, for example, is one of the most famous referral programs in the world. Um, but, you know, uh, they're a bunch of engineers and it's easy for them to to uh, whip up a referral program in, in a couple of days and, a, you know, a good <laughs> few hours of coding. And we really just think it's a great channel and we think word of mouth has traditionally been something that, you know, you, you know, you know even with your podcast to a degree, someone telling their friend to listen to it is the most, like you you don't get marketing like that. Yeah. And essentially what we're trying to do is create a way that brands can engineer that. Um, so yeah, I think we've got a long way to go. Um, our, you know, our, you know, we only launched our MVP towards the end of last year um, mm -hmm. and it's really done exceptionally well. And we've got, you know, I think we, had, we ran over 500 referral campaigns last month and um, a lot of customers getting a lot of value from it. But, but we're also learning too, you know. We're learning as we go. Um, and we learn, we, we, we're really in this great place. We're also getting to learn with our customers. Um, you know, we're talking to all of them. We're seeing, well, what else could we be doing? What else could we build that could help them get more referrals? Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, in a nutshell, that would be, yeah, I think that would be like the problem that, that we're trying to solve. And I think... Yeah, I think over time, my personal view on the landscape is, yeah, there's, there's lots of places you can get reach as a brand these days. You can put ads on Facebook, you can add, you know, there's lots of places that you can serve an ad and it can be seen by a million people. There's not lots of places you can buy trust. You know, you can, you know, there's not lots of places you can buy. I know my friend and I told my friend I used, that's, that's very hard to engineer, but that is actually the most valuable thing. And as any company in the world, like that would be the first thing on your list that you would want. And we want to help brands essentially get more of that. Um, and rather than driving the highest quantity of leads, we want to say, how can we help you get the, the best quality? Um, because we think, yeah, if you have a great product and you serve your customers well, people will want to tell their friends about it. Um, and in, in, I guess in another way, something that we quite enjoy is I find like we, we often actually just get to work with the best companies in the world. And even these 
you know, even though a lot of the companies that are using our product are small businesses, like the referral programs that do the best are the referral programs that have great products, that service their customers really well, um, you know, that are doing innovative things in the market. And yeah, I, I find it makes it super aligned. Like I absolutely love helping our customers because, you know, the ones that keep paying, the ones that keep their programs running are the ones that people want to refer their friends. Yeah. You know, they want to refer their friends. So I think that makes us super aligned and makes our customer base like, you know, I'm really proud of our customer base and I'm proud that we help to get them grow because I believe that they really deserve that. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned like, you know, your your, your customers are small to medium size, if I understood you correctly. Um, are this more of a product-based company, like selling something or, or it could be services as well? It's actually often, very often services. We probably have more service-based clients now than we have product-based clients. Yeah. Um, but it could be anything. Yeah. Um, just, you know, the product that we have at the moment, we only have the two, the starter and the basic package. Our pro package is on the way and enterprise will only be ready at the end of the year. So, um, but yeah, I would say it works for service and for product. Service, it actually works very, very well because often, especially if you're in a service-based business, you have a relationship with people. They really actually, you know, want to, they want to refer you often. I think, you know, the, the, if, if, if there's one gift I've gotten through uh, launching Referral Factory that I never predicted I would get was like, I, it actually just has warmed me up totally to the human race because I really find like, you know, often a great service, someone comes into your house, they do, you know, and they do a great job. Like, Often just by asking them, they do tell their friends. It's yeah. just before you just didn't ask them. Um, so yeah, service-based and product-based, you know, totally works for both. Where mm-hmm. we find it works particularly well is um, products, you know, I guess two places. One place is where there's niches. So for example, a gym, golf course, um, things that are, you know, because p- humans cluster together. So I like running. I probably have somebody that I run with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is important. And then the second factor is like trust-based things. So we have a lot of clients in the financial space, insurance, et cetera, because those are almost like those grudge purchases. People want to, they actually want to buy the same thing as their friend. Mm-hmm. They, they, they feel safer buying the same thing that their friend buys rather than doing the research themselves. Cause I think people are getting a little bit wary these days about what you research online and how much of it is true and how much of it is not. Yeah. Yeah. And also there's a lot of lot of platform where you can just buy reviews, right? So it's very difficult to know between uh, which is good and which is bad, like like you said, because if you just dig up online, you'll see a lot of reviews, great product. But when you buy it from Amazon, then you know it ends up not uh, you know what you hope for. You know, so and I think, yeah, going back to what we spoke about earlier, like my background over 10 years in advertising, like the amount of times brands have asked me to buy reviews for them. And I know where to buy them. I know how much they cost. I know how it all works. Like, like it's scary. It's yeah. really scary. Um, I don't think people these days, I don't think they realize how much of what they're reading online is true and how much of it is not. I really don't. Like, um and I think in time, they will have to learn that lesson. It's something that I think, you know, I, I really do believe like things that don't add value in time will weed themselves out, you know. Um, in time, if we continue on with this nature of fake reviews and, and, and the, this sorts of behavior as marketers, mm-hmm. we will ruin it for ourselves and customers will stop believing that. 
It will take time for it to happen, but by the third time a customer has bought a, a product that doesn't have good reviews, they are going to start being wary about reviews. So these things take time, um, but I really do just believe that, yeah, at the end of the day, the things that deliver value to customers will be the things that grow and the things that, you know, don't tell them the truth and um, don't deliver value to them are the things that will fade out over time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 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 how challenging did you find this particular space? Uh, I mean, I would I would consider still this is a very tech savvy space, and and yeah. and why I'm asking is because I see a lot of women entrepreneurs, you know, uh, in this space now, you know, compared to ten years back, perhaps. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm trying to refer to women being in the tech, and how, okay. how challenging how challenging do you find in this particular space? Yeah, so. It's quite weird in the sense that I almost, it's not to say that I don't find it challenging, but I mean, I weirdly see it as an advantage. Um, You know, I think the fact that I'm, you know, I'm sitting in Europe and the fact that I I really do feel I'm actually at a point now where VCs, for example, are making a mandate that they want to be funding more female-led businesses. Like that's a mandate with a lot of the VCs that are sitting here in the Netherlands at the moment. And, you know, I think... The challenge really, actually, you know, once their, their biggest problem as a VC is actually the is actually having the base. You know, is there enough stock? Is there enough companies <laughs> that are fundable? So for me, the problem starts a little bit sooner. Like I actually find once you've made it into tech, once you've built um, a few tech product, like the journey getting into it, I think is the hardest. Once you're in, I, I personally, um, I personally. You know, I am an eternal optimist, though, so you have to also just remember that. But I personally <laughs> see it as like, you know, the fact that I'm a female, the fact that I'm a founder based in the Netherlands, like, I think that puts me at an advantage. And, and I really think the next decade is is for women. Um, I think the next decade is for us. And I think it's ours to take. And I think we're really smart. Um, I think we're great at running companies because, you know, we're very empathetic Um I think we have a lot of characteristics that actually are, are really good, like natural leader characteristics. We maybe just didn't know it. Um, and yeah, and I find one of the things I always say is just try and like be the best example that you can. If we have enough like strong female entrepreneurs, just being good examples, you know, just being good examples, talking about what they do, um, talking about the failures, then like that's all we really need. I mean, we need capital. We need all these other things, but Lots of great examples. Um, and, and I say this because it comes from a history point of view. Like my mom was an entrepreneur. Um, we grew up in South Africa. Uh, there wasn't lots of access to jobs. She uh, left school when she was in standard eight, you know, ended up having two children and she wanted us to have a better life. Her only option was to start a business. Like she wasn't trying to be an entrepreneur. She just did. And, you know, I grew up with this incredible example of, well, my mom was just an entrepreneur and whatever she set her mind out to do, she just did. So it wasn't that much of a stretch for me. I really, I found in my twenties being, I didn't even think about the fact that I was a female in tech. Like I just was like, Oh, I'm here and I'm going to do it. She did it. Why can't I? And you know, the one reason for that was because I had a really strong role model. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important for um, the women that are running businesses at the moment to think really carefully about the example that they're setting. You know, we do like our pay scales are the same, whether you're a male or a female more than 50% of our staff are female at Referral Factory. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we do specific things. Um, I, I invest time in, 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 in networking, for example, you know, doing this podcast, talking about this is, is, 
important to me because it's important to be an example. I had an example. And if I can be an example, I really believe that will be a driver and change. Um, but I do actually find like, for me, the challenge was largely, I think, network based. You know, I, I grew up you know, in South Africa, not with a large network, didn't do it, you know, didn't study finance at school, was good at computers. Um, you know, I did computers and but, I, you know, I never really did finance at school. Um, I, you know, I didn't go to one of the boys clubs, universities, um, but I was really lucky enough to just be connected to the right people uh, early on, just by the nature of doing good work um, and doing good work. Um, and, you know, having the, the confidence that I think my mom also gave me, um, you know, it pushed me through. Um, and, and for me, I don't feel like at this point I'm sitting at a disadvantage. Um, I do think it was harder for me to get into tech and it was harder for me to build my first businesses, largely actually just because of network. Like, I don't think it was a skill set thing. And I don't think it was the fact that I was a female. It was actually just network. Um, but I solved that problem in a different way. I didn't have a network, so I built one. Like, I think when I was 26 or 25, I noticed, you know, I'm running, I'm running this media company. It's doing really well, making money. There's not a lot of other women doing this. But if there was a network of us, we could all sell to each other like all the boys sell to each other. So yeah. I started one. And, um, yeah, I think within like a year, it was the largest networking event for women in tech in the Southern Hemisphere. We got all the brands involved as well. Um, I managed to get us a few corporate sponsors, which really helped us boost our credibility and visibility. And yeah, we, we had a network of a few thousand women who were in business or tech or high-flying positions in South Africa. And we had a dinner once a month and it was always in person. Um, I mean, the tickets would literally sell out in, I mean, it was like 10, 12 minutes, the tickets were gone. Um, but actually what ended up happening was I built my own network because then I would you know, meet someone who was at a brand and then I would go say, hey, I met you at the dinner. Can I come show you what I'm doing as a business? And I guess I just found a creative way to build my own network. But once I had that network, I found after that, I didn't really feel like I had much of a disability. Mm -hmm. I did have to build my own network. But yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we all get some cards and not others. So let's focus on the cards we have, find solutions for the ones we didn't get and move forward. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, why I asked you this particular question is because uh, whenever I see, um, you know, female entrepreneurs uh, coming in on the podcast, they share some of the experience. And one of the founders said, like, you know, she had a terrible experience, you know, um, you know, sitting with the development team, right? You know, the, the she was into artificial intelligence space, okay. and the developer commented, like, "Hey, you know, why are you also in this conversation?" You know, so those kind of comments were there, you know. So, so you know, sometimes I, I find like you know there is a perception towards uh, tech entrepreneur, especially women, and yeah. there's a there is a assumption, right? You know, okay, as soon as the, the 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 female entrepreneur is there, then then they have their assumptions like development or or the techies, right? So maybe you had those kind of experience, you know, in the past. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had those experiences. Multiple. I was saying, um, just in terms of those experiences, I, I've had them in two places. Definitely in the tech side, I've had them. Um, when it comes to technical. Uh, yeah, assuming you don't know what yep. you, you actually know. I've also had it in the boardroom um, in terms of raising capital. You know, I've been asked questions around the table. Well, you know, if we're going to put this money into this, your company, well, when do you, um, can you know, are you going to be having a child in the next two years and you have to declare that, which I think oh. is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, 
it also, I guess, just stems like how, how do you look at it? Like this problem isn't going to be solved overnight. Like it's, this is, this is, we have to take something that if we look back 30 years ago to where women were and we look to where we are now, we've made progress. And if you look 30 years ahead of us, we're going to make more progress. Like we're strong, we're powerful, we're smart. We're going to make progress. Like I have no doubt. Like if I could bet on women, I'd bet on women. Um, but like what I do find is, again, it goes back to the leading by example, which is I'm really vocal about speaking out in those situations. And I have, yeah, no fear in terms of doing that. So I will... I, you know, I find in those situations when if you are in a situation like that, it's an opportunity for you to correct someone that doesn't know what they should. And and for me, that is like, yeah, again, I tend to look at it in the sense of, cool, well, um, you know, now I'm going to teach you a lesson. <laughs> now I'm going to teach you why you're wrong. Um, and, and I think that, and I think the more women just do that, the more we will break the stigma. But I think what's really important to women in those times is to stand up and be heard. Um, I think not hiding away and not shying away is really important. And if you are uncomfortable in a situation, um, even if you maybe don't address that situation at the time, pull the person aside afterwards and talk to them, send an email, make it known that it was an inappropriate comment, teach them why it wasn't the right thing to say. And hopefully if we all do that over time, we'll improve like our progress. But yeah, it's happened to me multiple times. Um, I really just try and what I try and do is just make sure that um, I speak up in those situations and I make sure that um, they know that their assumption is wrong, incorrect or, or sexist, which, you know, it is sometimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, now coming back to Referral Factory, like, you know, uh, when did you begin the journey of uh, Referral Factory? Uh, you know, is it before COVID or like, you know, when, do, when did you actually begin? So... It, it's an interesting one because I didn't start out building a software product that would, that companies could, you know, essentially it's a platform. You can sign up, add your card and build your own referral program. That wasn't actually how it started. How yeah. it started was people phoning me saying I've raised capital or I have this business and I want you to give me some ideas on how I can grow it. Um, and in, in every range of ideas I would give them was we need to find a way that you can get referrals because if you can get referrals, you get high quality customers, they spend sooner, they stay longer, um, you know, they tend to be more profitable over time, uh, they tend to churn less. So because driving sustainable growth was something people were asking me to do, um, I, I naturally had to come up with solutions for that. So how it started actually was we would essentially either brief their dev team to find a way that we could issue referral links to their users, or we would like manually do it running Google analytics. You know, we would have your, you know, landing pages with URL strings at the top that we could track in Google analytics and export it and have Excel sheets tracking all the referrals. So it started out as a very manual process. And mm -hmm. then when it started to work and a lot of, you know, like when it started to work and essentially what happened was over time, the referral program became the top acquisition channel for all these companies we had recommended it to. And then I thought, okay, this is really powerful. And how can we do this at scale? And that was kind of, when we had that realization, I would say it was at the beginning of 2020 before coronavirus took over the world. Um, and at that time we had kind of like just shut, I just shut the previous business down. Mm -hmm. um, I was, you know, I tend to do a bit of consulting in between just two people in the network. So 
I'd done a bit of like consulting, like I still had my team um, and essentially, yeah, we were running marketing for brands and, you know, I, that was kind of where it started. So probably I would say two or three months into COVID, we actually started only building referral factory and we launched it. I mean, we went from like idea to design to build to launch in three months um, and then have done iterations every month since then. But we, we, we kind of built it during the most hectic time of lockdown when we were all like locked indoors and couldn't go outside and didn't have much else to do. Um, yeah, and I guess as an entrepreneur, what do you do when you're in that situation? You solve, you find something to solve. And yeah, um, yeah essentially it was that. And like we were lucky enough that, um, you know, we had, you know, I was, we were generating cash because we had, we were building all these referral programs for people manually. That, the problem was we were giving them to them and then we didn't have any annuity income. So it, it was great for them and not so good for us, but it really proved our, it proved what I believed to be true, which was this is going to be a great acquisition channel for all the brands in the world. Like that's really what we believe. But, you know, starting it out, we would essentially charge a larger sum of, um, and that's essentially how I did it was we, we, we would charge larger sums to um, companies to model their referral programs, design them, build them. We then saved all that cash in the bank and used that cash to build the software product that essentially is now like a platform that you can pay a subscription, you can build your referral program and um, it works, the model works in a different way. I mean, we're still doing exactly the same thing, helping companies build referral programs, but we had to change our business model that it would be sustainable for us as well and would allow us to scale and do it on a, on a sort of large scale um situation so um yeah so we it was probably i would say beginning of last year just before covid that we had the idea this might work covid hit we all thought oh my gosh we were gonna die you know we had a there was a month or two where i was like don't know what i'm gonna do do i go back to south africa do i stay here is the world gonna end um and then very soon realized like well you know the world's not gonna end so let's get on with it um and at that point, yeah, we kind of had decided, let, let's, let's build this as a SaaS product. Um, and we had started thinking about it. And then we kind of went into, I would say probably about June or so was when we made the like actual commitment to say, right, let's do this. Um, yeah. And then we launched Q3. Uh, so it, it's, it's early for us, but it's quite weird because we, we didn't have an idea and built it. We almost like we had run loads of referral programs for loads of companies already, like we knew that it worked. We just needed the solution. The thing we were trying to solve was that people could build their own because the only way we could do it was if we built it for people, if that made sense. Mm -hmm. um, so we were pretty confident it would work, but like, you know, never be too confident. <laughs> so you have to make room for that. Um, okay. But yeah, we built it essentially during lockdown. Um, mm -hmm. And kind of by the time everyone else started coming out of lockdown. We're still in lockdown in the Netherlands. I feel like we're never going to come out. Um, <laughs> but um, We are neighbors, uh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we are neighbors. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, and by the time we started kind of coming out of lockdown, we were ready to launch. Um, and yeah, I guess it kept us busy and out of trouble during those months. What else were we going to do? So, um, you know, I had a team of incredibly smart people all around me that I'd been working with for a long time. And um, yeah, and... So we kind of just decided to swing and believed in it and, and, and built it and launched. And yeah, and, and, and I think got, I think we're really blessed in the sense that we um, managed to get traction re relatively quickly um, and managed to start getting cash in the door relatively quickly, which allowed us to keep going. 
Mm-hmm. And and during this challenging time, uh, you know, first of all, I must say that you know you you managed to put together uh, the idea into actual execution, which is really challenging. At least uh, you know just just by my own personal experience as well. You know, it, it's a challenging time, and 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 I'm I'm just wondering, right? You know, so you as a leader, perhaps you have a vision. You know, so you you say, okay, you know, this is what I want to see referral factory going forward uh, but it must be challenging like when you share your vision to your teams and 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 maybe you have reasons to wake up early in the morning maybe stay late but why would they want... never wake up early no you don't wake up early <laughs> i'm not i'm not part of the 5am entrepreneurs club i'm the like stay up till two club <laughs> you know yeah. either ways right so so you're working extended hours you know in general so, you know, why would, why would your team want to work with you? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I would say, I mean, we should maybe dial them in and ask them. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, so I think, I think maybe track record helps. Um, I think, um, you know, the, the people that are like full-time employed with Feral Factory, even though we launched the product literally Q3 last year, are the same people that since I moved to the Netherlands, over three years ago i've been running projects with and you know and i think have always really been fair and, and treated our team with you know kind of respects i try and um, you know make everyone feel included and yeah and i really just think relationships are built over time um and the people that are working you know on the project now with us and, and the team that we have it's a team that's been with me for a very long time so it didn't really have to it didn't take me too much convincing because we have we had done things before in the past. Everyone had always been paid on time. Everybody was always treated fairly and with respect. And I really do just believe that is you know if if you go about your day to day and you and you act with integrity and you do the right thing when when it comes time to you needing something back in return, it's it's not that hard. It's not that hard to get people to to believe in you and to buy into the vision um, because for the years you've worked with them previously before that. Um, you, you've always acted with integrity, you've always done the right thing, and they trust that you will do the same in the future. Um, so I didn't find that particularly difficult, but it largely was because I actually already had a network and team of people around me. Um, and I essentially just took them all kind of in and said, let's go full time and let's do this. Um, so I didn't really find that convincing people was too hard. Also, I'm relatively good at convincing people. So I think having 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 worked in sales for most, you know, having doing the first frontline sales for my business for all of my companies for the last ten years has um, has, has helped me a little bit with those skills. Um, and then I think the other thing that made it really, uh, I, I think, actually relatively easy. I, I don't want to sound too arrogant, but it, w- it was relatively easy. Was because we actually had data and proof. Like we've done this for X amount of companies. They've got X amount of value from this. Like we had actual data that we knew this worked and all we really were doing was saying, now we want to take this to the rest of the world. So I think it would have been harder if we were trying to get people to buy into the idea, but we already knew that we already knew that if we can just get more people to do this, our problem wasn't that it didn't, that we didn't, we were worried it was going to work. Our problem was how can we make it easy for every company to do this? So I think that allowed the team to feel really inclusive in the sense that we knew it was going to work, but the problem we had to solve was making it easy for people to do. And that's something that we needed to do together as a team. That wasn't really something that I could do together by myself. Well, I could do by myself. So 
in the sense of like, I think it took a lot of the risk away in the sense that if we really believed we could, as a team, uh, solve the problem of making it easier for people, we all believed it was going to work because we had the data to back it up. So I think that also played in my favor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and when, when, when I get a chance to ask your teammates, like, you know, hey, what kind of leadership is Christy? Then what, what would you say to that? Well, they all what would they, they say? What would they say, rather? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they would say I'm hard. Like, I think, you know, I'm, you know, the annoying person. I mean, <laughs> this, the more, I'm the most annoying, the most annoying. Uh, you know, this morning I was offline for like two hours because my computer wasn't working and I started getting messages like, are you dead? Because they're not used to me not being online. Um I think I'm, I'm very like high energy and crazy and I do tend to be very messy. So I think it takes a certain type of person to be able to work with me <laughs> um, <laughs> because being structured and neat is, and organized is not very something I'm excellent at, um, but at least I'm aware of the problem. So I do find as companies get bigger, I'm aware that I need to bring in other people to help me with that because it's not something I'm good at. Um, but yeah, I would say like I, I, I I think, I think not only just me, but my team and everyone together have great relationships with each other. But yeah, I, I think you, I think most of them would tell you I'm insane if I'm being honest. <laughs> that, would, that, that word has come up before in reviews. So um, yeah, uh, but yeah, I think like you know, you have one life, and um, it's. I mean, it's a bit more fun to work with an insane person. I think so. <laughs> You know, it's not boring. I don't think I don't think anyone is bored in the team. So I think I think you've got to decide what you want. You know, do you yeah. like it? If you want to work with someone who likes to be in the front line, solve problems that other people haven't, that person more than likely is going to be insane. Like, <laughs> but it allows you to do things that you don't know how to do and, and learn things every day. And um, I have very you know very conversational. Uh, you know, my relationships with everyone on the team is you know. We, talk all the time and we, I know the kids and I, I'm, I get very involved. So like, I, I would say like, yeah, I think I am a bit insane. Um, but <laughs> You've said that many times now. I want to know what, what regard. <laughs> yeah, can't deny it. But, um, but yes, I think for, the, for a certain type of person that wants to work in a high energy, high velocity environment and wants to learn a lot in a short space of time, they enjoy working with us. I do find generally that like, for you know, someone who's maybe come out of corporate for 10 years usually doesn't enjoy working with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think um, I, I get that part because entrepreneurs would like to be engaged with everything what's going on around them, right? So um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, insane a lot of times. I want to know, like, what in what regard are you insane, you know? <laughs> insane. Um, so I think I'm, I just, in, <laughs> in one way, I would say I can do a, a lot of different things. At this, so I tend to jump around a lot. Like, if you can imagine a gif of, like, a crazy bunny going from all sides, like, I, you know, this and it'll evolve from like, we have a conversation into this to I want an ad up tomorrow and the Atlantic page and within three days we've like done something. Um, and I think when I say insane, what I almost mean is that process would be a three week process in a normal company and in our company it's three days. And it's just kind of three days because like 
I just know it can be done in that way. Um, and yeah, so I would say like, I tend to take things that normal people will think are impossible and just be like, why? And why can't we do that? And maybe we can solve that problem in a different way. Um, you know, I'm not very scared of thing and I'm not very scared of failure. So like, I think a lot of times when people start working with us, they find it quite odd that like, I don't really, you know, if you make, if you make mistakes or you, uh, you know, you do things incorrectly or you upset a client, like I almost to a degree, I'm like, well, that's so great. What did you learn about that? So, um, the fact that we kind of more have a very open and free environment where making mistakes in our company is, is not a problem. Sometimes people find that a little bit insane, but I guess it stems from the methodology of you learn more from your mistakes than your wins. So mm-hmm. talk about them, celebrate them. Um, also, yeah, like, you know, long hours, talk very fast all the time, have a lot of energy. People get very tired. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and then I, I also just love like experimentation, trying new things. Sometimes a lot of the things we try does don't work, and I and I guess I'm just don't really have a lot of fear in the sense that, you know, I'll say, okay, well let's do this thing, and you know let's run the sprints and try this, and some you know sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it, I guess it, it stems from the type of entrepreneur I am, which is like a very, which is actually a very good initially starting a business but gets worse as the business gets bigger which is like cowboy shoot from the hip style entrepreneur so um (laughs) and i'm telling you that's the south african in me if you grow up in south africa like you just think anything is possible um so so yeah so i think because i'm yeah uh, because i uh, yeah high energy try lots of things run lots of experiments like love talking about mistakes failures like you know a lot of people see that as like something totally different, especially if you've come out of a more sort of corporate uh, style. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and uh, I guess, yeah, I guess that's, that's, that's how I would almost just describe the insanity, but it, it largely just stems from the, the, the high energy and lots of words every day, all the time. <laughs> and, and um, uh, one of the things that I see, uh, you know, in a lot of entrepreneurs is, is, um, is being able to receive challenge, right? So being able to receive challenge, not from, uh, let's say, the competitors or anybody else, but from your own peers, from your own people, you know, how open are you to sort of, you know, accept the challenge, right? You know, maybe the things that you are trying out, maybe it's not correct. And somebody challenges you that, you know, how open are you in that sort of, you know, situation? Um. I'd like to say I'm very open because obviously that's what I think. <laughs> Might have to dial them in again. No, I mean, yeah. yeah, I think I think everything really just stems down to communication. Okay, right. which is it depends how you communicate that. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it, communication is like something I've worked on a lot and used to be wor- worse at, and I think now I'm better at, and I hopefully in the future will be even better at it, which is there's two, you know, there's two different ways you can tell somebody that they did something wrong. And the one way will make them get their back up. And the other way will make them see it in, oh, okay, well, this is best for the business. And, and it's really good that you gave me this feedback. Um, And I think what I'll try and encourage is just like, understanding the personality types or understanding the people in your team, and communicating that in a specific way that they can see the that they can see that the information you're giving them is constructive, and it's not in a way that they need to be defensive. And mm-hmm. sometimes that, that really just means 
even starting a conversation with something as simple as, I'm going to tell you that something you did was wrong and I disagree with it, but I want you to know that I'm telling you this because I want the best for the business and I really believe it to be true. And I'd love to have an argument with you about, about it because I think that my way is right and you think your way is right, but um, it would be the best thing for the business if we figured this out. So I'm going to communicate that with you. Now, if somebody says that to you, you're totally open to getting the feedback, you know? So I think it just stems down to the communication. And I think because I am busy and chaotic and doing lots of things all the time, mm -hmm. like everyone in my team has, I guess, learned that, that if they want me to listen, you have to communicate in that way. Because if I'm, you know, answering a Slack message, I've just got off doing a podcast, I have a hundred emails to read and I have to do some legals and I've got to do it all before five. It's not the time for you to say, hey, Kirsty, what you did is wrong because, you know, you've got to think, how am I going to get it to listen? So it's a bit of a challenge, um, but, but I think communicated in the right way, I'm really open to it and I actually really appreciate it. Like I love it when my team tells me that I'm wrong because I think it's hard to tell your boss that they're wrong. I think it's really hard. And I think if you do that, it means you really care about the company because it's hard for you to do that, but you're doing it because you want the best. So I try my best to be receptive. I can't say I'm always successful, but I do try. <laughs> right. Because, uh, you know, like you said, uh, you know, before, you know, if you are working in a corporate environment, uh, perhaps, you know, working with you might be uh, a challenge, right? So I think that's, yeah. where, that's where the discussion is coming from, because in the corporate environment, perhaps, you know, people are not used to, you know, asking questions, you know, to their bosses directly, like, okay, this is not going to work, right? And yeah. yeah, because I've I've seen leaders and entrepreneurs like who are one way traffic, like they just want to get things done. And that's the way it works for them. Right. And some yeah. people are different. Some people accept challenge, like you said. Yeah. yeah. But I think I think it also just stems from where you are in your journey. So when your business is very small and it's maybe you and one developer and that's all it is, like the way you behave is slightly different. But as your business grows, like you can't be the only person that makes decisions anymore. So you almost are forced as an entrepreneur to create a culture of other people making decisions. Like you have to do that or you will limit your business from growing. Mm -hmm. So I kind of find I have to, yeah, because I am an entrepreneur and I'm incredibly stubborn as well, you know, so. <laughs> but like, yeah, I do find like I have to remind myself that even though I, even though it makes me feel good to be right, and even though it makes me feel good to have all the ideas and I feel important, like I will limit my own growth, I will limit my company's growth, and I will stop this product from being distributed to the world if I have to be the person that has the last say on everything. So it's difficult to give up control. It's really, really difficult, especially when something is your baby and like, because no one sees it the way that you do, but you actually don't have a choice, I find. like. For me, that's not a choice. Like you have to start bringing in other people and you have to relinquish a version of control. And if you don't do that, you will stay a small startup. Like those are your options. You actually can't be the boss of all the things and have a massive company. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. So you don't, for me, I almost see it as I have to, man, you know, I have to have a little pep talk with myself in the morning. It reminds me, you've got to be better at this. You have to do this because your business won't grow otherwise. But I mean, I do. I absolutely. I have to remind myself. Like, it's not. It's not easy, and it doesn't come naturally. Because the thing that got you from zero to one, or you know, zero to zero point one, should I say, is like, <laughs> it's, it's 
it's, it's, it's often the fact that you saw an idea and you executed it the way you wanted to do it. Like yeah. that's the thing that gets you over the first hurdle. But then your mindset has to change if you want it to grow. And that's okay. You just have to talk to yourself and remind yourself. And it's not always easy. And you make mistakes. And you don't always do it perfectly. But, you know, if you try your best and, you, and you're cognizant of it, I, I think in time you, you'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, moving forward um, for a referral factory. Uh, can you maybe talk in short, like, what, how do you see the future for Referral Factory? Um, yeah, so I have, we are currently at a point now where we are like self-funded. We haven't raised any capital. Um, we are looking to take us, uh, we kind of have a roadmap um, that takes us to the end of the year. Uh, that gets us to a specific monthly recurring revenue figure. I mean, I'm happy to share that, but 75,000 euro a month monthly recurring revenue. We're on track to hit that now, so we have to continue to execute and work hard to do that. Um, and then we will look at a capital raise at that point. Um, and then from that point, we will look to uh, build the team out and grow it much more aggressively, do multiple, like we already have some language translations, but essentially we want to offer multiple language translations, lots more features, um, currently, our current product at the moment is really only servicing small to medium-sized businesses. Um, but we have in our roadmap plans for larger businesses, plans for enterprise products, etc. So um, we're just growing. Um, for now, the focus is like focus on the customers we have, continue to grow at the rate that we have, get our retention numbers uh, to the point that we need them to be. Um, make sure that our customers are getting absolute value from um, our product um, and use the money that we have coming in the door without growing too aggressively initially until we hit that kind of milestone. Um, and then once we hit that milestone, um, I'll be really happy with the foundations because that will allow us to have kind of, I guess, a really strong core team, like enough revenue coming in the door that we can be spending um, and sustaining ourselves. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily need capital to exist at that point, but we will at that point want to accelerate or, or put the foot in the accelerator um and then we will look to do a capital raise um we do we are already in chats with uh uh two specific vcs it doesn't necessarily mean that's who we will work with but we've actually said like we're going to get to this point on our own um and yeah because we are lucky enough to the point that we actually are generating revenue so uh we we, we bootstrapping it until that point we want to make sure our foundations are absolutely solid before we raise capital um, and once we hit the specific milestones that we know we are comfortable with, uh, then, we, then we kind of turn it into scale. Um, so I would say we're still in the startup phase at the moment, um, but uh, 2022 is going to be our year to accelerate, um, you know. Uh, uh, I would like to maybe, uh, you know, have a chat with you next year, hopefully, or maybe yeah. towards the end of this year, you know, where you are and, and, and your journey. And I will, I will keep a close eye on that. And keep me posted. Anything comes up, you know, keep me posted. I would be more than happy to share to my audience as well. Great. Thank you so much. And thanks again for having me and for all the fun and direct questions. And I mean, I'm not very <laughs> proud that, that I admitted I was insane on the podcast, but I guess that's us. And once it's on the internet, you can't take it back. <laughs> you're done now. No, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You take care. Thank you so much. 